G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What does it mean to forgive? Listen, to forgive means I'm surrendering my right to get even. It means I will not pay that person back what they may indeed deserve. Instead, I'm going to put it in the hands of God. It may seem like retribution would be so satisfying, but Pastor Greg Laurie says trusting God brings the best satisfaction. So we need to look to that great theologian, Taylor Swift, that she gave us this advice, shake it off. (laughs) Forgive. This is the day when the lost are found This is the day for a new beginning Amazing grace, how sweet the sound Again you hear all the angels are singing This is the day, the day when life begins When we withhold forgiveness, that offence occupies space in our mind It's as though we've rented brain space to the offender and the rent keeps piling up. But sometimes we have to forgive someone who isn't sorry and accept an apology that never came. On A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie highlights the life of Joseph. It seemed that every time he turned around, someone new was stabbing him in the back. But he forgave and he forgave again. And he spared the lives of himself and his family. read about a study that was done on the topic of forgiveness and it revealed that 75% of those who were surveyed believed that God had forgiven them for past sins, but of those who were pulled, only 52% had forgiven others, end quote. Hey, Houston, we have a problem. If we're gonna ask God to forgive us, the scripture says we should forgive others. Why? Because life is filled with hurt and disappointments, isn't it? We get hurt in life. We have people who hurt us, and guess what? There are people that you have hurt as well. So we need to learn how to apologize, and we need to learn how to forgive. Now, some of you are thinking, now wait a second, Greg, you don't know what people have done to me. You don't know what I've had to face in life, and you know, I don't. But I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says, and I'm gonna tell you why you should forgive. I'll give you a few reasons, but here's number one and the most important reason. You should forgive people who have hurt you because God commands you to. I don't think we need any other reasons, but there are a few others. Why do I say that? Because Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Then Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. Listen to this. To fail to forgive can bring your prayer life to a halt. Let me say that again. To fail to forgive can bring your prayer life to a screeching halt, Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, when you're praying. First forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. 
Bottom line, as I said, forgiven people should be forgiving people. So we've been hurt in life and we have a choice. We can rehearse what happened or we can release it. Let me say that again. We can rehearse what happened or we can release it. We can go over it again and again and again, justifying our anger and our bitterness, or we can just release it. So we need to look to theology now and look to that great theologian, Taylor Swift. <laughs> and she gave us this advice. Shake it off. <laughs> Forgive. Let it go. Didn't Queen Elsa tell us that? Let it go. But what does it mean to forgive? Listen to this. What does it mean to forgive? It's not condoning or dismissing someone's bad behavior. I think sometimes we feel, well if I forgive them, it's like I condone what they did. No, forgiving is not condoning someone's bad behavior. It's not dismissing it. It's not even necessarily reconciliation because that's not always possible. There might be someone that's done something mean to you. You forgive them, but they still don't want to be reconciled to you. So I'm not even talking about that. So what do I mean when I say to forgive? Listen, to forgive means I'm surrendering my right to get even. I'm surrendering my right to get even. It means I will not pay that person back what they may indeed deserve. Instead, I'm gonna put it in the hands of God. Because over in Romans 12, 19, it says, never take vengeance into your own hands. Dear friends, stand back and let God punish if he will. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There's different words used in the Bible uh, to describe forgiveness, 75 in total. The main word that we find in the New Testament uh, that is translated into the words forgive and forgiveness is one that means to release, to release, to let go of something, to free yourself from something. Uh, another word that is used to describe forgiveness in the Bible is canceling, as in canceling a debt. I mean, you, you have to just keep a short account. And this is really true of marriage, okay? I mean, if you want a marriage that is happy. If you want a marriage that lasts, you better learn how to forgive because you're gonna hurt and be hurt in marriage. I love the advice of Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, who said, uh, a good marriage or a successful marriage is made up of two good forgivers. So we should be willing to forgive other people because it comes down to this. When I forgive someone, I set a prisoner free, myself. Because I can be the prisoner when I fail to forgive. I can be the one who's getting hurt more. To withhold forgiveness is detrimental, not only to the person I'm withholding it from, but harmful to me as well, spiritually, as well as physically. One study was done uh, among resentful people, and it was revealed that they took, resentful people, 25% more medication than people who practice forgiveness. So if you want to save money at the drugstore, forgive. If you want to be a happier person, forgive. If you want to be a healthier person, forgive. And most importantly, if you want to be an obedient Christian, then you must forgive. It isn't giving in to another person. It's getting free of that person. 
my friend Craig Rochelle put it this way. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest. And I like that. So just put it in your rear view mirror. You say, well why are you talking about forgiveness? Well because we're in part three of the life of Joseph. And before us now in the book of Genesis is one of the most amazing examples of forgiveness in all of the Bible. The only story that really eclipses it in my estimation is Christ hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here is Joseph, a man who has been so wronged in life, extending forgiveness to his brothers. The very brothers who abandoned, betrayed, and for all intents murdered him. This would have been a great moment in the narrative for him to deal in a little bit of payback with one word. He could have had them all executed because he comes into a position of great prominence as we'll see. But he didn't do that. Instead, he forgave. Now let's consider the fact that Joseph's life can be divided into three sections. Remember what they are? They are start, struggle, and success. Number one, their start, that would be birth to 17 years. When we're first introduced to the young Joseph, we find a young boy, 17 years old, uh, with a super cool coat his dad made for him. And uh, his father favored him above the other brothers. This stirred resentment. Joseph made matters worse by tattling or ratting out his brothers when they were misbehaving. Also, Joseph had these amazing dreams of other people bowing before him that were in reality from God. But as I said earlier, sometimes it's best to keep your dreams to yourself. Because the brothers just thought he was kind of a braggart and a bit spoiled. And maybe he was. But uh, he certainly didn't deserve the treatment that they gave him. Because section number two of his life is struggle. They sell their 17-year-old brother to a group of slave traders for 20 pieces of silver probably never thinking they would see him again. Well, he's purchased by a guy named Potiphar, who is the chief executioner under Pharaoh. That meant that he was in charge of all executions, and he was in charge of the secret service of Pharaoh, if you will. Very powerful man. He put Joseph in entry-level job, but Joseph was such a hard worker, so full of integrity. And as the Bible reminds us, because the Lord was with him, he elevated Joseph so soon Joseph was running Potiphar's entire estate. All Potiphar had to think about was what he was going to eat for lunch. Well, Potiphar had a wife who put her lustful eyes on young Joseph, who the Bible tells us was very attractive, handsome, well-built. And she started hitting on him day and night, and he resisted her advances. And finally, one day, she just got tired of being subtle and grabbed him and yanked him down on the bed and basically just said, have sex with me. And he ran out of there as quickly as he could. Then she falsely accuses him of rape. And now we find Joseph sent to prison, bringing us to section three of his life's success. As he sits in prison and the events that he goes through to prepare him for what was ahead. A very important detail is given to us in Genesis 39:21 about Joseph in prison. It says the Lord was with Joseph. So now he's now he's in a dungeon. Worst situation imaginable. But in typical Joseph fashion, because of his hard work and because the Lord was with him, he's running the place. 
Greg Laurie, the Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, presenting a series called World Changes on a New Beginning Today. Thanks for joining us. We're gaining some important insights on forgiveness as we study the life of Joseph, who at the moment finds himself in Pharaoh's dungeon. Let's continue. Enter the butler and the baker. They worked for the Pharaoh, and they were both sent to prison. You wonder, how did that go down? Did, did the baker come up with a really over, you know, cooked piece of loaf of bread and the butler served it? He said, you're both going to prison. Whatever it is, in this case, literally, the butler did it, right? So they're now incarcerated. And, uh, and here's Joseph uh, walking around sort of taking care of people and he sees his two fellow inmates. He notices one day they're very depressed. He says, hey guys, why the long face? What's, what's wrong? And they begin to tell him uh, their troubles. Now, I love the fact that he was thinking of others above himself. So he's talking with these guys and they both had these dreams. What were your dreams? Okay, well, uh, one of them says, I, I had a dream. This is the butler now. He says, I, I had a dream of a vine growing up with three branches and then the three branches were clusters of grapes and, and so I took the wine from the grapes and I put him in the king's cup and served him to the king. What does that dream mean? Joseph said, that's a good dream, buddy. Uh, the Lord has shown me that that means you're gonna get out of here and before you know it, you're gonna be serving wine to the king. Yes. So the baker's going, oh, my turn, my turn. Okay, what was your dream? Baker says, okay, I had this dream uh, about three baskets of white bread. I had them up on my head and in the top basket were some special baked treats for the Pharaoh. And so that's my dream. What does it mean? Joseph was like, eh, not so good. Uh, your dream means that uh, you're going to be beheaded and they're going to hang you on a tree and birds are going to eat your brain. Sorry to break that to you. But that was the honest interpretation of the dream. Now the butler who's going to get out, he says, no, listen, man, you got to do me a favor. I did this for you. Remember your buddy Joseph when you get out, okay? And the butler said, yeah, I'll never forget you. He never heard from him. And so now he's just sitting there for two more years. He was forgotten. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, in Genesis 40, 23, the butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so now here is Joseph sitting in prison, not knowing how the story is going to end. Meanwhile, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the Pharaoh of Egypt, has a troubling dream. And in his particular dream, he sees seven fat, healthy cows in front of the Nile River. And then after them came seven scrawny, shriveled up cows. And the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows. Pharaoh woke up and went, whoa, I should not have eaten that Egyptian pizza last night. What does this mean? Then he falls asleep and he has another dream. This time it's seven heads of grain, strong and healthy, growing from a single stalk. And then seven heads of grain also sprout, but they're sort of scorched and withering. And the scorched ones ate up the healthy ones. He wakes up, ah, what does this mean? So he calls in all of the astrologers and the wizards and the experts and advisors. You see, he had them on staff. They were on the payroll. They were supposed to help him interpret things and give him messages from the gods, messages from the stars. But uh, these guys had no answers. They couldn't make sense out of Pharaoh's dreams. And then there's a butler. He's standing there. He's thinking, oh, why? I remember that Joseph guy. So he says to the Pharaoh, I met this guy in prison and he interpreted 
my dream, also the dream of your former baker. And uh, I believe God's given him this ability that Pharaoh says, get him up here right now. So meanwhile, down in prison, there sits Joseph. Sarah's probably growing up really long, long beard. They come into a cell. You're gonna go meet the Pharaoh today. We're gonna give you a shave and a haircut. Let's go. And next thing he knows, he's in the presence of the Pharaoh. Genesis 41. By the way, was that not the longest introduction ever? <laughs> that was the intro. <laughs> Verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was brought quickly from the dungeon. After a quick shave and a change of clothes, he went in and stood in Pharaoh's presence. I had a dream last night, Pharaoh told him, and none of these men can tell me what it means. But I've heard that you can interpret dreams and that's why I have called for you. I love Joseph's response. Verse 16, it is beyond my power to do this. The Pharaoh's heart probably sunk. But then he went on to say, but God will tell you what it means and he'll set you at ease. Now that took courage. And so now the Pharaoh tells him his dream. And Joseph says, okay, I got it. Lord showed me. Here's what it means. Those fat cows getting eaten by the skinny cows, that's talking about seven years of plenty. In other words, you're gonna do really well in grain reserves and food for seven years, but you have seven years of famine following that. So you better stock up now and get some reserve in place so when the famine comes, you'll survive it. And by the way, you gotta get a really good person over this to administrate it. And all the Pharaoh soothsayers, wizards and magicians are saying, me, me, me. And the Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, I want that guy right there. Next thing you know, Joseph is the second most powerful man in the world. He had gone from the prison to the palace. He had gone from rags to riches. Pastor Greg Laurie guiding us through the amazing story of Joseph. And there's a whole lot more to this story than some Technicolor dream coat. And Pastor Greg will have some more next time as he continues his World Changes series. But before we go today, here's just one more illustration from today's message, The Power of Forgiveness. It's an interesting thing to me. Here's Joseph. He doesn't deserve to be in prison. And yet he's thinking about others. Which reminds me of a 10-step solution for curing depression. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these 10 things down. Step number one do something for someone else who has greater needs than you. Do something for someone else who has greater needs than you. Step number two, repeat step number one nine more times. <laughs> now I know it's oversimplifying it. I understand there's clinical depression. I'm not really addressing that. I'm just talking about those times in our life when we get a little bit down in the dumps, something didn't meet our expectation, get a little perspective. You know, sometimes you may not be feeling well, but you go and make a visit to someone in a hospital and you see, wow, they're a whole lot worse off than I am. And I have to tell you, I've had situations where I've visited people in hospitals who are terminally ill. And when it was all said and done, they ministered to me more than I ministered to them. So as I see others who are suffering maybe a lot more than I am, it puts my problems in perspective. If you'd like a copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called The Power of Forgiveness. 
Just go to visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-5011. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.